hello, hello. Welcome to what is already a hotbed of discussion here at She Podcast. Today, we are excited to be here. I'm Jessica Kupferman, your co-founder and co-host, and with me as always, my other half, some might say my better half, certainly my better looking half, Elsie Escobar. Hello, everybody. And our wonderfully open-minded producer, John Jamingo. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Clara. So nice to see you all. We are so full of things to chat about today. We are. Guess what? What? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what's happening? What's happening? I am going to get my second shot after <gasps> this After call. this? Okay, good. Yep. Well, I'm glad yeah, it's after no. this I'm glad it's after this call. No, it was like, about oh. an hour ago. So I. <laughs> oh my god! No, I'm just kidding. No, it's it's right after this. Yeah. So actually, what it means is, Elsie, I may not be able to do the QA. I'll let you know. Hopefully oh, I'll be fine. okay. Thank. You. Hopefully, I'll be fine. I'm sure I'll be fine. My hair is not cooperating today either. There are days sometimes where, like, I just, no matter which way I do it, I'm just Kramer. It just is does this just doing the. Right. I should just go with it, I guess. Hello, Kelly. All right. So Yay. anyway, um, yeah, lots of cool stuff to talk about. How's your weekend? Let's start there. Did you do anything fun? Did you go anywhere good? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I did. So I requested because Rand has to go on a work trip and uh, he's not going to be here for Mother's Day. And therefore, I requested to go to an herb, like an Asheville herb expo. And I got an opportunity to go and spend lots of money buying starters and all kinds of stuff. So I have cucumbers and I have tomatoes and I have Ooh. leeks and I have nettles. I finally found my nettles. I've been wanting nettles for so long. So what is a got nettle? Nettles. What's a nettle? Nettles is like a oh gosh, it's it's sort of like like you you use it sort of like spinach, but if you touch them, if you if you they're called stinging nettles. So if you touch them and it's out in the wild. <laughs> They will sting. They literally, they will hurt you badly. It's, they feel like, not necessarily like poison ivy, but they do have a kind of like a prickly poison. I remember the nettle conversation. Yeah. Yes. Nettle tea or some nonsense. Yeah, Basically yeah, yeah. And so then tea. you can make tea yeah, with I it. Remember. And then you can, once you cook them, they lose their stinging stuff. But I've been wanting nettles for so long. And I finally got, some, so I'm so excited about that. You know, lettuce. But Amy and, wrote. Look what Amy wrote. Of course she did. Of course I did. So I'm so excited. It was so great. I loved, I mean, it was like this incredible, and everything was organic. Everything was local. Mm, I was in heaven. And I got one of those little pulley wagony thingies with big giant tires that are like four by four tires on the wagon. Wheelbarrow? It's like a wheel. Well, no. um, It's like a, not a wheelbarrow. Like a garden wagon. A little oh, wagon. like a garden wagon. It's yeah, like a yeah. garden wagon, yes. But it's like mm-hmm, sturdy mm-hmm. kind. Like yeah. I told Randy went to into um tractor supply and he he's like, Give me your credit card and I was like, Okay. And I put it in there and I see the charge. It was like ninety eight dollars. I was like, What? For so, a wagon? Yeah, the cart, the little wagon carty thingy. So you pull it, but it's like super sturdy. I love it. Anyway, that's okay, what I did. So what I think it's you? worth every penny. It's worth every penny. What did I do? Saturday, I spent all day entertaining children in the bouncy house because what I didn't think far ahead enough about was that I would have to watch them when they were in the bouncy house. Oh, I would yes. have to at least be outside because if they clang heads, I'll need a medical kit. 
So I can't just be like, have fun in the bouncy house and then go do my business. I'm going to have to sit out there or have Scott sit out there, which so far he's not been willing to do because it's too cold or he doesn't feel well or blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Really? So that's what I did all day. Yep. So that's what I did all day Saturday. And then Sunday I went to like lately I have a lot of projects that I've started and not completed. So my attempt to do that was to go get all the other things. So like, for example, I bought an inexpensive tabletop fireplace so we can make s'mores, but I didn't get the right size propane. Then I have, you know, uh-huh. like I have a, a cart garden. I kind of have like my own little wheel table, like a tabletop garden yeah, that yeah. I got for, I guess, Mother's Day last year or something. I didn't have the right soil. So I had to go get soil. I had to go get, and then I needed to get something for my hermit crabs. I needed a certain kind of sand. So I bought all that stuff, came home and, oh yeah. And I was doing, like, I have like seven projects going on at once that are like 80% complete. I can't seem to like get over that hump of when it's going to be done. So like curtains, I thought I was very smart. I saw that command now sells hooks that you can stick to the wall and it will hold up a curtain rod. So you don't have to into your wall. Oh, You don't have to do that. This is great. This is good to hear. Yep. So I spent all this time undoing what we had up there because it was like the kind with clips. Yeah, it was like the oldest curtain rod known to man. So I took it down that I got my cooks and then it wouldn't stick to the fucking wall. Oh, my God. I'm so and sorry. so now I'm just like, I'm gonna have to get somebody to come over and like, screw the thing into the wall so I can hang my curtains. So now my curtains are hanging over the thing. That's another project. So I'm just, I'm sweating in here all of a sudden for some reason. So anyway, so I'm trying to get it done. Anything done would be great. Now I'm going to get my vaccination today. So the chances of anything getting done before Mother's Day are getting lower and lower. Oh, my goodness. (sighs) So that was my weekend. Just like some running. Anyway. That's good. I'm glad. But I did send you an article, Jessica, uh, this weekend about this article that I found. uh, It's from Microsoft Words, Microsoft.com, actually. And it's about very interesting some brain research. And I'm only sh- I'm sharing this with you because both you and I have just last was it last week where you sent me that text where you're like, I've been in meetings all day. And I was like, mate, welcome to the club. And yeah, uh, so this article is titled Research Proves Your Brain Needs Breaks. Uh, new options help you carve out downtime between meetings. And so you know, there's that thing where I have meetings that are back to back to back a lot of the time where they just one of them ends and then the other one begins. I I literally just get a chance to go to the bathroom and then I'm done. And what's interesting about this article is that it shows you the data. It it has like pictures of your brain. Do you I don't know if we have access to be able to show that. I do. do you think? Yeah, I can do it. Hold on. So hello, Bonnie. Hello, Kelly. Big shout outs to Amy. I know y'all are showing up over here. And Troy. Oh, gosh, Troy. I'm so sorry. I know. I have heard that quite a few times where people would come up to me and they go, gosh, I'm so used to talk to listening to your podcast, but at two times speed. So can you imagine Elsie at two times speed? I know. So now I'm like, sorry, this is me normal. But look at this. So this is a picture from that article of like what your brain goes through if you go from meeting to meeting to meeting with no break and then with a break and it allows you to kind of see the different colors in there. And oh my goodness gracious, it is. So the coolness of, okay, so what you're looking at is 
For those given breaks, the beta wave activity remained steady over time. The coolness of the stress levels visualized here is in blue and green. For those deprived of breaks, the average beta wave rose, suggesting a buildup of stress. By the third meeting, this guy needs a a V8 or something. (laughs) A V8? I could have used a V8. Anyway, for those deprived of breaks, the beta wave went up as time passed, suggesting a buildup of stress. The increase is depicted here with colors shifting from cool to hot. Cool, hot. Yeah. The chart represents the relative difference in beta activity between break and no break conditions at the top of each meeting. So at the beginning of each meeting, this is where we were here, which is actually interesting to know because if any of you out there have a, a, a scheduling link, this could actually give you some um, research and reasons to stop scheduling those back to back to Mm -hmm. make sure that your link allows for at least 15 minutes, if not 30 minutes between each call. So I usually I have it so that people can schedule any time with me, but I have a half hour in between. So if somebody schedules at 10, the next times they'll be able to do it is like 11, 1130. You know what I mean? So I usually have meetings on top of the hour. Well, 10, 11, 12, one instead of 10, 1030, 11, 1130. Wow, because your brain really does. It's still that meeting three, though. It kind of looks to me like you should stop at meeting two. What's really, I think, frustrating about this, too, is so there's also not only the break, but it's what you do in the break. Because what I found for myself is that it doesn't matter. Let's say let's say I have a meeting at 11 and we end at, you know, 1145 and then start at 12 and go to 1230 and then a 30-minute break and then a one o'clock or something like that. But what ends up happening with me is I'm done at 1240, at 1145 for that meeting. And then I'm rush, rush, rush going to the girls going like, did you get the thing? Did you do the stuff? Like right before I was coming over here, I was finishing lunch. So I was like cooking and putting the stuff together and making sure they were ready and doing the stuff and then moving to the other thing. And I got to go to the bathroom and then I got to go press that button and I got to go clean the thing. Oh my God. And, oh my and God. And so then- In the middle of it, what they're saying ultimately to do is that you need to sit, okay, sit for 15 minutes and chill and not do anything. Don't go reading scary things online. Don't go trying to finish that little bit of work. Go do something that's like meditative, maybe fold a little bit of laundry, or maybe you could do some dishes, or maybe you could sit down and flip through a magazine so that the brain actually comes back to a place of being open and creative again. I have a really hard time with that, although I can see how important that would be. Anybody working from home, this is an impossible feat. This is absolutely impossible. I can't go from my office to the bathroom without my mom being law. Jess, can I have a question? Do you have a qu- can I have a, give you a question real quick before you go back to work? Like I like and, and I mean forget if your kids are here. Mommy, look at the eight things I did while you were on the phone. Mommy, can we play really quick? I want to play a game before you go back to the call. Like I right. it's impossible. It's impossible. It is impossible and it's crazy. The I think the other layer to that as well is that if you have let's say you have back-to-back meetings, maybe two or three, you still have to have also the amount of time where you're going to be doing the work work, right? Because when you're at meetings, 
for the most part, it's a lot of thinking and conversation. It's a different part of your brain where maybe you're planning stuff, but nobody's doing things. So even if we would get together and go, let's plan out, you know, next week's marketing schedule or something, we would talk about it and we would say something like, we have to do a blog post and we have to do two images and we have to publish to these three places. Who's going to take on that? And I go like, I'll make the images. Jess, you write the blog post, you know, that kind of stuff. But we're not doing it right then. So then afterwards, we go to another meeting. And so when do those blog posts get written? When does that you know, those graphics get done. When does, usually you need breaks from that. So part of it is this whole entire thing that I'm paying attention to that my, the capacity of my brain right now, I need to really start to focus on being able to be in a place of actually doing this stuff and being optimal when I'm there versus what tends to happen, which is we have to juggle four, five separate things happening at the same time. Yeah, I can tell you this is why Chris and I, right before or right after an event, are like, if you talk to us, it's almost as if we have dementia. Yeah. And it's because my brain is not having any time whatsoever to breathe for a second. It's a decision every second for like mm-hmm. a month. It's really hard. And then I also just read that lack of sleep. For middle-aged people, in other words, in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, if you don't get X amount of sleep, you are more likely to have dementia in the old folks' home. And like, I don't enjoy it now, not being able to think of certain words and do certain things. So I'm just like, how can I get more sleep? I want to stay smart forever. Yep. So how do I, <laughs> how do I figure that out so that, I mean, and, and that then, and like almost right as if I was realizing this, Elsie sent me this article and I was like, my brain is fucked. Yeah, it is. It is pretty <laughs> insane. I ha- and and mind you, I think that we're going to be having more like health conversations soonish. At least, I like to really address things once I've done something for a substantial amount of time. And I, you know, I have all kinds of workflows that I've been doing. I've been using a couple of new apps that have been very helpful. But I don't like to talk about these things because what I've noticed is. I'll talk about it and I'm so excited and then like I break up with it within a week, right? So I'm waiting until I am consistently using a tool so that I can really say, yes, this is actually really working for me because of these things and this is how I'm using it. So I think that I have had some really huge realizations when it's come to this past month when it came to just working out and being active and being mindful about some kind of activities that I've been doing, that it has been a shocking shift in my brain, the end, in my brain, period. (laughs) Nothing else, in my brain. So I'd like to talk about that soon, not yet, but very soon, because I've been like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, I totally get that. For me, it's been fresh air and sunshine. That makes a big difference to my brain. Like I... I need it so much that I'd like to put – Bonnie was saying that her um, her office is essentially her balcony with her eyes closed, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. I just need to – again, it's one of those unfinished projects that I need to do. But brain health is something I think we should discuss more often because we're abusing our brains, and nothing has made it more obvious to me than the pandemic, how oh much my, my gosh, brain yeah. was being abused. So many things. Yeah. So I think we should talk about that more. 
We, we will be doing a little health check here and there and maybe bringing a little bit more of that. But now mm-hmm. let's go ahead and move into our regular news. The news you can use for the informed podcaster. Podcasting news. So uh, finally, iOS 14.5 was released with the whole ATT tracking thing, you know, that everybody was talking about the privacy thing where it it makes, you know, folks have to opt in or it gives the option to opt out of being tracked. And this is, you know, Facebook is very scared by this because their entire (laughs) ecosystem is built on being able to track you, you know? But they've they've been very interesting, those people. And so Facebook and Instagram, the way that they are positioning their messaging is that if you opt in, you're helping Facebook and Instagram stay Stay free free of charge. Right? How dare they? What? Honestly, charge for it. Fucking charge for it. I dare you. I don't. Yeah, I don't understand. I dare you. I mean, they really are positioning it in that way because there's really nothing else they can do where they're bringing fear to the scene. Oh my gosh, what if we had to pay for this? That's number one. And the second thing that they're doing is that they're also uh, bringing that whole emotion thing to people, saying that if you don't opt in, you are fundamentally going to destroy small businesses. (laughs) That's the other tactic that they're doing here so because small businesses were nothing before facebook that's right right because we need it so much so i had this article here just so that you can see what they're doing and you are aware about it do you want to read any part of it or you just no i really just wanted to share it and we'll have a link in the show notes to a lot of these things uh because we have a lot of things to cover today and i kind of want to get to the Heart of the matter here towards the second side of the episode. But there was this other thing. uh, This is the other headline. Um, This was really interesting to me. I don't. And the only reason I put this in here is because if this happens for podcast, for the podcast app, it could be awesome. So this is an article from Macworld. And it says, Apple demystifies app store search results with new smart suggestions. There's and no so- way this could be bad, whether you're a podcaster or not, because how many of us have gone looking for an app only to download five of them, pay for two of them, and still not find the right one? Because there's so many. That happens to me all the time. What's so cool with this is that when you're in the app store, it says in the article here, you enter a search term and a set of keywords appear below the search bar to refine your search. So these keywords are the ones that are usually associated with your search term. So in the article that they have here, they say they search for baseball. And then the keywords that appear are training and stars and manager and, you know, things like that. So it seems like for that, it would be really great. So again, and it's some filters allow even further filtering. So you can, if you clicked on a puzzle, you can actually get, receive options for a jigsaw puzzle or words puzzle or kids puzzle. So how cool would it be for Apple Podcasts? It would be really cool. I'm just showing the people who are watching us yes, live. Yes, please, what we're please. About. 
So if you type in baseball, which is what she was saying, right underneath the search bar, it'll say wallpaper trade. Kind of like I think how it does in Spotify where you type in, okay, I'm going to say Pitbull because that's what I typed in for Isaac this weekend. He likes Pitbull now. And you get, you know, do you mean this artist, this artist? Do you mean this song, this song, this song? So this should work like that, hopefully. That would be cool. It certainly can't hurt. That's all. It cannot hurt. I think that this would be, I mean, again, I'm speculating here and I'm hoping that this type of algorithm, like they test it out with the App Store and then possibly move it over to Apple Podcasts because it is so hard sometimes to start to search for things in there. And a lot of folks are thinking like, you can't really add keywords to almost anything at this moment. And even if they, I don't know where you would add them because they have deprecated so many aspects of the Apple podcast ecosystem. And there there are tags, there have been like a sub, there's so many things that have had functionality that has been deprecated by Apple because they've chosen to do what they do all the time. But having something, how I think it would be amazing to be able to find a podcast based on tags like that, because a lot of folks are looking for specific things. And to have all of that functionality and add even more filters to it. Anyway, I, I mean, it's a dream. Apple do it. I think it would be awesome. It would take people from spamming keyword titles and author tag spamming and all of that stuff. It would just remove that because then you can have a show that's not called exactly what it is because, I don't know, have you seen that? Like there's no way to be creative with your titles because if you're creative with your titles, it doesn't explain what the show is about. (laughs) Yeah, I know that. But I still feel, you know, some of us, those of us who are creative can't help ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But it's we like, my. Do. remember when I was into Orphan Black? Still, yes. it's the best, one of the best shows ever. It's the best shows ever. Yeah. And so the one of my favorite shows at that time when I was binging on Orphan Black was the show was called Tatiana is Everyone. That was the name of the show. <laughs> yes. And so. It was the podcast. No, wait. It was the name of the podcast you were making, yeah, sorry, not sorry. TV show. Sorry, sorry yeah. about that. Yes, it was Just the name of clarify. the podcast. Yeah, the name yeah. of the podcast was called Tatiana is Everyone. That's what I searched for was an orphan black podcast. And the way that I found that one show was because I listened to the podcast that was called the unofficial orphan black podcast. And in that show, they had an interview with the people who did Tatiana is Everyone which I liked better, but I would have never found it if it wasn't for that. By the way, you guys, such a cool show if you haven't watched it. And Tatiana is everyone. I don't know what Tatiana Maslany is doing now, but like for years from watching the show, Scott and I were just like, this woman better get an Emmy or we're boycotting all of television because she wasn't just a clone of herself. She wasn't just Patty Duke and her twin cousin. She was eight different clones of herself and they all had very distinct personalities and you would forget it was the same person that's how good she was oh my gosh but it was amazing i i mean it still is i kind of want to go revisit that whole entire Me too. show and watch the because there are thing. certain clones we never got to see again like the dude with the beard he that's just right. showed up at one time and then he just i was like thought there was going to be like a storyline with him and he just like disappeared disappeared i was kind of disappointed i would have liked to have some dude clones so good so so good anyway uh let's hope apple does that and then so this one here let's go to the Acast one because i i i would like your opinion on this jess 
Okay. So, oh, yeah, he- yeah, 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 yeah. The headline here is that ACAST launched uh, sponsored stories, and this is an immersive mm-hmm. sponsorship experience. Uh, this is on Medium, and this is the ACAST thing. But I think what made me laugh is that the, you know, I guess this is what marketing is. I should just say this is what marketing is. But they publish this, and they're like, this is nobody has ever thought of doing these things. They always do that, though. Oh, my God. They always do that. And I mean, even the first sentence, ACAST, the creator first podcast company, because that indicates no other company is thinking of the creators first. But still, I like the brazen. Um, They have a new ad offering available exclusively through the ACAST marketplace. Sponsored stories will take traditional sponsorship reads a little further, giving advertisers longer spots with high production values and more opportunity for storytelling and a greater share of voice within ad breaks. Unlike the branded segments that are baked in, like the traditional ads and sponsorships you can hear on ACAST, they're going to be dynamically inserted in ad breaks and across the show's entire back catalog this means the brand message can be more commercially focused without needing to be contextually relevant to a single podcast episode while remaining current, regardless of how long ago the show itself was published. Okay, Wait, hold on. No. What? Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. What did I say? What did I just say? Running anywhere from 90 seconds to four minutes in length. Okay. So that means you're listening to your ACAST show. And you're in, have it in your ears and you're doing your show. And then a story about an advertiser comes in and it could be from 90 seconds to four minutes in your podcast. The only way this is a good idea is if that shit is super interesting, which I'm assuming they think it will be. Like, I think ACAST is like, you know, our sponsors have feelings too. Let's make them talk about it. Because it says ACAST Creative since 2019 has delivered branded content campaigns for Netflix, Microsoft, Apple, Ford. So, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't mind hearing about, listen, Apple is famously hush-hush. If you could hear a four-minute story from an Apple employee, I would jump on that shit. Yeah, but it has to be in the right place. Like, so, yeah, I've, okay, yeah, with Apple and if they decided to buy an ad in all the Apple podcasts, about pot, you know, like the Apple podcast, the yeah. Apple about Apple, if you will. Yeah, then it yeah. makes sense. But if you're having, like, if you're listening to your latest news show or you're listening to your, you know, whatever, like financial literacy show, and then all of a sudden you have this four minute long immersive story about Apple, and that show doesn't have a storytelling component, meaning you just want to listen to people talk like us. So we're talking, we're doing our thing. I mean, our, you know, thankfully, John cares about the way we sound and he makes it sound really nice and we sound great. But the whole aspect of our conversation, it's we're not highly edited. We don't have like crazy sounds and like stories and then voiceover. We don't have that. So then all of a sudden, here comes a three minute, beautifully crafted, soundscaped ad. People are going to be like, what is happening I mean, in certain situations, you're right. Like, it does say because it's able to be dynamically inserted, they they say it does not have to be contextually relevant. Right. But 
So in other words, you can just talk about your story regardless of what show it's on, which is fine and good. But like, so the one podcast that I always use for examples is the Sleep With Me podcast Mm -hmm. because this guy tries really hard to only sell pre-roll because mid-roll people are trying to fall asleep and there are still I'm I can tell when he's gotten pushed by someone because it's pre-recorded and it's at a different audio level than he normally speaks because he's trying to put people to sleep so right. it'll be like this and he'll be rumbling rumbling and all of a sudden he'll be like okay we'll be right back after these messages if you try me undies it's amazing. And then I'm like, I'm like wide awake all of a sudden. Yep. And it's only, it's like five, 10 minutes in. It's not even a true mid-roll, but it is brainus interruptus. Yeah. And so, and so that's brainus kind of like what they're, that's kind of like what they're proposing here is like purposeful brainus interruptus, which most people skip on purpose. Yes. So purpose we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And so that is going to be the title of our show, brainus interruptus. Skip us purposes. <laughs> also, I'm I'm also curious at the fact that they just think that this is like new because I think that there ha- this has happened in the past before hiring creative to be able to create this immersive ads. Yes. I think that the thing that maybe is different is that this is dynamically inserted. Actually, you know what? No, because I remember I created, I mean, way back. I'm talking way back. And possibly 2007, we did a sort of ad like this for Lipson, where we did a little bit of the creative. I did the voiceover for them, and it was a geotagged, dynamically inserted ad that was going on some shows, and it was specific to Orlando or Florida because they were doing uh, Halloween horror nights for Universal Studio. No, not Universal Studios. Something that was going on over there was like a scary something or other for one of the amusement parks. And we did the creative for that. And it was really just geo-targeted. And it just went into that place. And we did it in 2007. So I don't know. I mean, I've talked about those things before. Like I've been gathering intel on companies that have been doing this since I had my ad agency. So yeah, they're not the first, but I don't see you anywhere where it says like, we're the first people to ever do this. I know. It just says, why do you have that indication? I think it's just, maybe it, maybe it is the coverage. Maybe they're just like, and now we're going to, so I guess it's, this is a value add. Also, why just a cast? Why can't anybody who has dynamic ads create something like this? They can, but this is ACAST's announcement about their sponsorship packages. Anybody can do it if they want. Right. That's what I'm saying. But not every advertiser has a podcast department. So ACAST is going to work with sponsors to create these pieces that they will then dynamically insert. Here we go. I would like to uh, highlight somebody that I've been following as of... A bit now. Her name is Desiree Attaway, and she wrote an article that was pretty darn powerful uh, titled, It's Always Political Lessons from the Base Camp Fiasco, which we will talk here in just a moment about. But I think one of the biggest reasons why I love this article, y'all need to read it, is that it has three really poignant leadership points of view actionable things that I think she captured 
in a way, obviously, because she this is what she does. Desiree Attaway is somebody who has been around the block for uh, when it comes to DEI type of conversations for a long time. She's a consultant, a trainer, coach, and a speaker. And I love that she says this. She says, building resilient, equitable, and inclusive organizations. And this is my favorite part. She holds a vision for people's lives, workplaces, and communities until they can hold it for themselves. I love that. But let's backtrack a little bit because not everyone knows what happened to Basecamp. So I just, you've explained the I, author and stuff like that. Did I you? understand. I don't think you did. But I guess the reason I don't want to talk about Basecamp is because I, oh, I want to talk about well, we the- We can't talk the, about- I want to talk about these tenants. We can't do no. that without telling people what no. happened. Listen, the tenants don't, it's not about repercussions. So we're talking about the tenants and then we can see it through the story why that fell apart. So if I say to you, Jess, if we can apply this, here's tenant number one, apologizing and repair our core leadership competencies. So I'm not talking, we're not like just focusing on base camp right now. Just talking about that tenant, apologizing and repair our core leadership competencies. As I know, a leader, but Elsie, what? People are going to have to pause the show and go figure out what happened there so they can come back and understand to what context we're talking about this. I, okay, so what if I was just talking that this is something that I learned last year? particularly when it came to She Podcast. What if we were just talking about the She Podcast group? Then you need to, okay, then you need to say things like, okay, when it comes to politics in the workplace, here's something important so that they don't go running around looking for context because there's no context right now. That's all. We will give context in a moment so you can apply this. You've done one so, of these though. <laughs> just You have to give people a way to ride with you. We want to ride okay. with you. But I think that we can show with an example, a personal example, which is beyond just that one thing. And I think that that's where I don't want to get caught on that this one conversation because then that makes it about them and not about you. I want this. I want you who are listening right now to mirror this tenant, which is outside of that company did that. It's about you. Okay. So as a leader of your podcast, as a leader of a community, as a leader of a conference, whatever, as a leader of whatever you are a leader of all about, the things, of all the things, apologizing and repair our core leadership competencies. So yes. what does that look like? That just means that you as a boss need to learn to be able to apologize when you make a mistake and you also need to be able to repair whatever that looks like for you. These are things you need to have as a leader. You have to say, I am so sorry, Jess. I mean, I've apologized to you about stuff that I've stuck my foot in my mouth about, things that I didn't tell you about that I made decisions around. I've done things like that to Lipson. I've done stuff where I'm just like, oh, I didn't even realize that that was a thing. I am so sorry. Being able to apologize and then repair it is very important as a leader. This does not mean that you don't suck. That's all I'm saying. Would you agree to that? Yes, but yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes, so, I agree to it. And we've mm -hmm. done it in the She Podcast group. We have. Where we have said things, where we have then and it has not been easy. Have we not? Mm-hmm. We have. Okay. It's not been easy. Right. Not at all. There could be a whole nother conversation about what to apologize for, what not to apologize for, when to relent, when to let the crowd 
dictate when to dictate to the crowd and so on and so forth. But yes, as a whole, anyone in a leadership position needs to know when to apologize and and take ownership. And it's Mm -hmm. something I wish, I mean, it's something that no one has demonstrated in the chief of staff, you know, in the in the presidential office in a long time. So I feel like most of our young people who are learning leadership from him will not understand how to apologize and admit when they've made a mistake, which is a problem. It's and a it, problem and it's in tough. personal and yeah. professional life. And also, I think that part of it, and also Desiree says, be honest about ways you failed to support marginalized staff or speak up when you saw harm being caused. Because mm-hmm. once you know better, you do better. Right. I would assume that that's great. Awesome. So moving yes. on to the next one. Staying in right relationships is more important than being right. What do you think about that? Okay, so it says committing to staying in difficult relationships to work through messiness. This is what helps us to conversations, build difficult conversations to work through. What did, the I, mess- say? what did um, I say? Relationships. Oh, oops. Oh, um, that's what helps us build deeper connection and community. It shows people they're worthy and valued that will dig in and work hard together and can hold folks accountable. And hold them with care. So staying in the right relationship is more important than being right. If I were to rephrase that, I think I would say not getting rid of someone because you've done something embarrassing, been embarrassed, or allowed someone else to do something embarrassed. You know, that that, that firing them is not a good answer. That firing them, quitting, running to another country, hiding in the dirt, none of that is better than clearly I have wronged you. Let's work together to make it right. That's more important. Absolutely. And that sometimes we might think that, I, I think the hardest thing, even as I'm I'm thinking of having conversations with my preteen daughters that are going through some stuff themselves where they are understanding the world differently, uh, letting me know what they feel like or what they identify with that is not the way that I do and that I don't understand me being able to stay in conversations that scare me, make me feel like I'm not equipped, make me feel like I'm not enough, making me feel that I don't know what to say, making me feel that I'm ashamed, making me feel that they hate me. All of those things are... well. No, I'm saying anyone who have a teenager things, will tell you that get used to it because that's what teenagers make you feel. Right. You but are nice this happens about. when you're having conversations about race, about gender, about um, any challenging thing out there in the space. These are not easy conversations. They are very messy. There is no this is what you do. And then this is what you do. And you, there's no like, OK, we're done. There are layers upon layers upon layers of this conversation that often come up. And part of it is our ability to be able to sit back and listen and get messy and start over and go back to the first one, which is, I'm sorry. (laughs) Or at least to hang in there until the child understands why the parent is doing what they're doing and vice versa. The parent needs to understand why the child now feels that that's not the right way to do this or that. But yeah, when it comes to race and gender, actually, I mean, I was talking about this with Scott last night and and business too. Yes. But generationally we're very different and we all have to work together. So it's tricky. 
it's tricky. Like I've been watching this show Hunters and it's set in the 70s and it's about old people who survived the Holocaust. I saw that. Now... Is that the one with Al Pacino? You saw the whole show? Yeah, I saw the whole thing. So what Scott and I were saying, though, is that we are actually the first generation of people that didn't have parents go through horrible, horrible, horrible things. But their our grandparents did. So the oppression is still kind of fresh for our generation, like because we were raised with conservative parents who had, conser- you know, very conservative grandparents. It's actually our children that will be the first to not know, according to Scott, mm-hmm. they'll never know what it's like to live in a world where a government is actively pursuing Jews. Hmm. Because right now it's not happening, but it has happened in our lifetime and it has happened in our parents' lifetime and, and of course, their their parents' lifetime. I was like, well, I mean, that's I, I mean, it's certainly a good thing, but it means they're also the first generation not to live with parents that know you know what that's like or to have family that won't talk about the things they've been through like all the things that you see on hunters when like they're secretive and they've got these stories in their heads that they can't let go and can't get past like our kids don't have that and so it's fascinating to see what it does to generations and generations i don't know anyway it was just interesting and the point is similarly there's going to be people going into the workplace, my older children now going into the workplace, having no concept of why a boss would pay a color, a person of color less than a white person. Like he cannot compute that. Not my daughter cannot compute that. Like they don't see they've been taught diversity since the beginning. So it's like, what do you mean they're getting paid 70 cents on the dollar? What do you mean they get pulled over all the time? And that, yeah. So anyway, no, but it, but it's true. They they have a very different point of view. The Gen Z, when it comes to mm-hmm. their self expression and their understanding of the world from a completely different place, and and again, going back to what that looks like for staying in right relationships is more important than being right. Where you, especially yeah. as a boss and as a leader, to be able to allow yourself to get messy because that's part of rebuilding and rebuilding trust. Not everybody knows all the things. And lastly, it is get ready to double down on your values and commitment to DEI and racial equity work. So this is very specific. Actually, you know what? It's not very specific to business. This is something that is it just needs to be in your life. If this is something that you value, that there is something about this communication and this uh, like casting a light into all of these different things. And this is really important what Desiree said here. She said, moments of racial progress are always followed by blowback. You're going to be tested, questioned, pushed. So you so get rooted in your personal and organizational values. A CEO will work with what was recently asked in front of thousands of employees. Why are you talking about race? It's divisive and has nothing to do with our work. His response, you can vote with your feet. We need to be clear with folks, this work is non-negotiable. So it's part of being able to be that. That's what I've seen, I think, working particularly this year to see that positions in leadership are the only ones that can actually state this and put a stake in the ground. Because you as a an employee, usually you, you, you talk with your feet. If you don't like it, you leave. My opinion starts here with the sentence that human rights 
should not be a political issue that I have never met a human being on this earth that has said, yeah, we don't need to pay women equal pay. We can keep people of color from being promoted. Like, I don't think people at their core really feel that. So why would they say it's divisive? Because I'll tell you why, because they don't want to admit or even bother to investigate whether or not they've ever done anything to keep someone else back. And they don't want to discuss when other people that they work with or admire or have promoted when they've done something. They don't want to talk about that in the workplace because God forbid they're complicit about something. But racism, sexism, and gender equality, those things should not be political. Political is whether or not the government can dictate whether or not we say the Pledge of Allegiance. That shit is political, okay? But it's not political to say, to teach your bosses and your management that in the past, this is how we've made decisions and it's been wrong and we need to fix it now. Or this person has complained of having her hair touched or this person has complained about having work due on Jewish holidays and it's a problem. That shit's not political. That's human rights. We have the right not to be bothered by our hair, not to be told when we can and can't work. If we have something religious happening, we have the right to get paid the same as everyone else for the same work and Yeah, if you don't like it, vote with your feet. That's why companies who say things like that, they say, this isn't the place to talk about that, really need to rethink that position. Because if you can't allow your employees to talk about their human rights issues, then you're creating an unsafe place for them to work, period. I don't necessarily agree with that. I thought that I, that was something that I, I, that it was outside of the political realm. But in truth, now, upon reading and doing a little bit more reading, and especially the way Desiree lays it out, and she says that discussions on identity, race, gender, ability, et cetera, power and money are always. Yeah. Let me rephrase. They shouldn't be political. I know that they are. They right. shouldn't be. They this, There should not be any division on whether or not people deserve equality. That's what I meant. I know that they're political issues now, but they shouldn't be. Right. There should be no division as to whether or not we should learn real history or or white coated over anymore. It's just silly. Right, right. And it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, all of the parts are. So now what are we talking about? Which is a roundabout way, like, you know, I know, Jess, you wanted to push me through this, but now we can give the context to it because there's been a huge conversation going on about base camp. And one of the reasons I won't, I wanted to go through that process because that's applicable to every single person. And what I didn't want is the story of base camp to become about base camp because it's not a story about base camp. It's a mm-hmm. story about us. It's our story. Mm-hmm. It's your time to, to make a lot of choices when it comes to you being whatever it is that you're doing, being a leader in your space. So when it came to the base camp stuff, Essentially, I'm going to have links in there so that you guys can follow in the links in the show notes, all of these separate articles, and you're welcome to read them all. There's a lot of coverage that happened about Basecamp, but essentially, you know, they put out a memo, their CEOs put out a memo that said that there will no longer be any kind of political discussion, among other things, also other stuff too, inside of Basecamp. Like that's just not going to happen. And Even though that was like the biggest 
lead into a lot of this conversation, meaning that and that is what the world saw. That is not why people, but one third of the people quit Basecamp. All like the director of marketing, the director of design, like there was another director, it was like three directors of all the people. They all left Basecamp. And it wasn't because of that statement. It was because <laughs> the CEOs essentially didn't do what uh, we were just talking about, which was the whole like, you apologize, you repair, and you listen to your people in your own house. Like, this wasn't going to be something public. It was people were asking questions like, can we deal with this issue? Can we deal with this issue? And then it got a little too hard to deal with the issue because it kept coming up. And they were like, I'm done. I'm over. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just stop it. Yeah. They weren't even making, and and the people that were working there were willing to get messy. They were doing internally a lot of the work that they wanted to just talk through an issue that I feel, even when reading the context of these articles, yes, it was problematic in how it began, but it didn't really begin from a place of trying to harm anybody. It really, if they would have just dealt with it, it would have kind of taken care of itself and the company would have been a lot stronger. It really was a a list that was created. That's what the conversation was about, a list that they were making fun of people's names. And they, and most of them were of Asian descent or African descent, and they were just making fun of it. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought that was like such a bad thing. Yeah. But they wanted to talk about why making fun of names can be problematic in furthering racist feelings or bigotry or otherness. That's all they wanted. Just a conversation about how sometimes what you name something can eventually cause harm. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. That's it. But it got too challenging to talk about it. Again. I mean, it is challenging to talk about. When we started talking about things in our group, my instinct was not to allow it because our group is mainly supposed to be for supporting podcasters. So my first instinct was, we don't talk about that in here. You're welcome to have a political discussion on literally any other forum at any time and give and given place. And it wasn't because I didn't want people it to come out that I was complicit in any way. It was mostly because I didn't want to make other people uncomfortable based on what was said. But then I sort of realized, well, what exactly am I afraid of that white people are going to be offended? That's ridiculous. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous not to allow people who feel that they've been treated unfairly to say so in any realm. And that does have to do with podcasting because it's podcasting is us talking about the world that we live in. And that's the world we live in. I think there is another layer to this that I feel is important as well, and that is the element of helping people feel safe in these situations, right? I would have felt that in a company that is a cocoon, if you will, like outside of the world's eyes, that that could facilitate and it would be easier, I would assume, to be able to keep a safe space, to be able to have boundaries 
And this is how we do it because you do need to have that kind of training. That's why DEI is so important because it's not just let's just all start throwing stuff at each other. There are guidelines, there are boundaries, there are ways in which hard conversations need to be had. And as you know, Jess, I've never been skilled at having challenging conversations. You were able to, through our friendship, in bits and pieces, been able to teach me how to have challenging conversations. And it was not easy. And I told you what it felt like for me inside. I gave you what my historical understanding of having hard conversations was, which was usually not having them. And being able to break through that was hard. And you are kind and you step back and then you asked me, you know, what are you afraid of? I remember very specifically where I was like, I don't even know what I'm so afraid of. And she w- and you were just, you provided the space for me to work through it on my own so that I could tell you how I really felt. But that took a while. So think about it from that perspective in a, a place where ultimately this is what we're working for. We are all, we're going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel odd. And I want to create that container so that we can say these things, but there has to be mutual respect and understanding. Now, when it comes to Facebook groups, I have a harder time because it's a public setting and you can't set those boundaries as well. And as a moderator, you literally have to be like, pushing people away. Like, I wish people could see me. It's like you're you're blocking folks that are going to derail things so that the, the hard work can be done and you need to leave it alone. You need to leave it alone, not have people coming in there poking at with it their just because with their agendas. Exactly. And so that's why I, I still have fear about that because I don't feel like I'm taking care of that. Like, I want the children, not the children, the chick of the children, think of the children, but to keep the boundaries, the safety, the the rules of engagement, the rules of engagement of having a challenging, this is what we're doing, this and this and this, this is not allowed. This is allowed, right? And I feel out of control with over, I don't know, I think we hit over 20,000 now with more than 20,000 people in the group. It's like, how do you even manage that? You know, Elsie is 19.8. Okay. The only reason that that conversation was able to happen was because I knew you well enough to know that you were going through something and I made you, I made you come out with it because you were, you were continuing to bring up something that we had already decided and you kept coming back to your discomfort with what we were doing and you kept coming back. It was like week after week. Every time I met with you, you were like, right, but I don't want, this is what I don't want. And I'm like, right, I don't want it either. And you're like, right, but I don't think you understand that I can't have it. I'm like, right, I don't want it either. That hasn't changed. Nothing's changed about what we discussed last week. So, you know, what's the deal? Um, <laughs> and finally, finally, after the third time, I was like, you don't trust me now. But you trusted me when we started this project and it's because you've been reading this and everything you read shows these people as oppressors and these people as not oppressors. And I understand that, but I'm not sure how I can make you feel safe about it again. 
I, you know, and I mean, we even discussed the fact, I mean, you even, I don't even know if you remember this, but you even told me that like you were even feeling some kind of way about your partner too, because he's white. And you, you know, there was like, there was like a, there were barriers being built that I think you didn't want to have to tear down yourself and nor should you have to. Like, I know well enough to know that, like, even though I've personally not oppressed you, yes, it was my job to make sure you understood that you were safe to talk about those fears and, you know, feeling a certain type of way about me in that moment or him in that moment. Like, those things are important. When I talk about this conversation with other people, I say that I had to apologize for being white. (laughs) It's kind of what I did. You know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I, but not, not exactly like, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I'm white, bitch. But more like, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sorry I don't understand. I'm sorry most of people don't understand. I'm sorry. You know, I just apologize for just all the things I thought she was feeling and all the things I couldn't also feel. And at least that way, the other person feels like, OK, you at least get that something's off, whether you can fix it or not. At least admit that something is different and then let it be okay for now that it's different, that you felt differently about things and that I understood that, even if I can't understand how you feel, because how could I possibly? Right. And But but also, Jess, I understand that you, yes, and that was a, a really powerful uh, conversation we had, but the conversation that I was thinking about was actually prior to that, where it was just about a friendship where it was just about allowing myself to know you're my friend. I don't know if you remember that, where we had a conversation where that was possibly like the most eye-opening one for me, where we were having a conversation and I was so closed off and you were just like, tell me how you feel. Like I was angry about something or I was, I think I I forgot what it was. And then you pushed me through it. And I was thinking like, well, I just didn't even have the skills to be able to tell you that I was pissed off or that I didn't like something specific. And you were like, do you think I'm going to (laughs) like, what do you think? Do you like, what have you done for the rest in in your whole life? Yes, I do remember this. Have you ever shared with somebody that they were mad at you? What are you afraid of? Yes. And I started to think back. I always just was quiet and I ignored it and I just swallowed my feelings. But Jews can't. We're not incapable of doing that. We yell all the time. So for me, if somebody's keeping their feelings to themselves, I can sniff it out like a dog with a bone. And I have to know because I can't fix it unless I do. I'm wait. I'm used to people going, shut the fuck up about it already. You know, so. Right. I, it was like, what? So, yeah, but I remember that. Yeah. And I and then you and Randy had just had a conversation with me about it, too. He was like, That's what do you think is going to happen if you tell me how you feel? Like, yeah how you actually feel, like what these feelings are. And I just realized that the reason that I don't verbalize any of that is because I thought I was, that were, you're going to all go away. It's funny because it's like you bought, it's like you finally figured out what size sneaker you need and you buy the exact right pair of shoes that will fit you. And then you just don't go running anymore. <laughs> it's like you found the exact person that you needed to partner with right. in both areas. And then you're just like, Nah, I'm still not going to run. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, because of the, yeah, because or or it's one of those things where it's not, it wasn't actually that you were going to leave. It's like, nobody is going to accept me as I am. Therefore, I have to continue doing this on my own. Oh, my God. So that was like a larger thing. Therefore, 
Like I have to be ready to always continue to do this on my own. Always. And then both of you and he during about the same amount of time were like, what the fuck? I mean, it doesn't say very much about me. Are you thinking? It doesn't, you know? Yeah. It doesn't say very much about either of us if we would partner with someone that like, once they told us their your true feelings that we would just be like, fuck this and run away. Like, what does that say about right. our opinion of you in the first place? Exactly. But I, I think the whole, I'm wrapping all this up in the sense that all of that conversation happened in a, through time. That's true. Through trust. It wasn't like all of a sudden this thing. And the realization for me came in my forties. So if we're having these conversations, these challenging conversations, and you are in a leadership position, being like a CEO of a company, whatever you want to be called, you need to do your own work. You need to look at what those things are that are making you feel uncomfortable and making you feel like you can't lead and making you feel like the way that I was feeling. Because there's nothing worse than me not being able to go through those feelings that were so hard for me. The vulnerability was like I felt like I was about to throw up. And then knowing that I could lead from that place. And if I would have hit it and just decided I'm just going to go on my own. Can you imagine the loss of the depth of relationships and she podcasts wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like there's so much loss. So, and that doesn't mean that I'm so good. It means that it's hard. It means that you are seeing a bunch of shit you don't want to look at. It's hard. It's hard to hear it. It's hard to admit it, but that's every yeah. relationship. I mean, I guess I'm going to say lucky in the sense that I already had a bad marriage. So I already knew what it was like to keep shit to yourself because you couldn't trust the other person with your feelings. So I was very, and didn't even know at the time, I was very strategic about being with someone that would be willing to listen to, and, you know, that I would even be willing to tell the truth to. It wasn't even about him. But is this person worth telling the truth to can you say this makes me feel like you don't like me because when i was a kid this is what happened and like mm -hmm. for that person for that it's scary because that person can then be like well you're a fucking idiot and then you've done it again right you've picked someone that wasn't worth your time that doesn't think you're worth anything and you've done the whole thing again and that is frightening it's frightening in every relationship, friendships and romance. I'm, I just may have been slightly ahead of you in the sense that like, well, not even because you had relationships like that too. Well, there's a difference between you doing it, seeing it and doing something about it, which I think takes something, I don't even know, like a skill, a skill that's then, then what I had, right? So we all have, again, tendencies and we tend to do certain things, certain ways. And um, mine was to retract and to self-protect and yeah. to keep working hard and and strive yeah. and not really, you know, try to do something different in my behavior and how I was adding to the problem. Like, I'd rather not see it. Yeah. Yeah, we're different like that for sure. But that's just... So that, that was the thing. That's just coping mechanism. You know, again, that's just being in a family that yells at each other all the time about how they're feeling. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to talk to your company. It's hard to talk to your employees. It's hard to admit when you've made mistakes, when you want people to respect you. It's hard to let that guard down and admit you've done something wrong really ever. 
really ever that's hard. But if you're one of those people that can't admit when you've done something wrong, I'm going to tell you right now, you better stop because no one likes that person. And there's always, if if a mistake has been made, even if you weren't in the room, aka your children make a mistake, somehow it will always come back to something you did wrong. I shouldn't have left it out for you. I shouldn't have left you alone with it. I should have explained better what the what it meant to me. You better learn how to see your part in every fucking thing that happens to you because you have a part in all of it. You don't have to apologize to yourself, certainly, but at least have the cojones to admit when you have done something to fuck shit up. And I, I think that part of the problem with this whole base camp thing, too, is that, you know, there is that aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is when you are in a position of leadership as well, and you do decide maybe at some point to not really mean it, but apologize anyway, you are always going to have folks that are going to be kissing your butt enablers for you to say things like, oh, you didn't have to do that. Oh, you were so like, they're so whatever, you know, and that kind of stuff. They're going to do that. They're going to enable you to continue to do that. Why? Because most of these folks in a position of power tend to be white, tend to be male, tend to be, you know, the ones that you, you just have to say yes. And anything that aligns with power, you just want to be closer to that power. You just want to make that happen. And it also becomes about them, meaning it becomes, it centers around the people that did the wrong and how poor they are. And now we've got to, we have to go take care of these poor, privileged CEOs. <laughs> and and it, all of a sudden, the centering becomes the opposite of the, what it is. What a mess we're in because of that. And not to get too, not to put too fine a point on it, but like, what a mess we're in because we can't admit when we've done something wrong. Or we can't admit when someone we were following did something wrong. Rudy Giuliani's house was raided. His children are all going to be investigated. He's going to be investigated. All because not one of them could just be like, hold on, dude. Hold on. <laughs> hold the fuck on hold up. here, dude. The people who did do that. I mean, yeah, Michael Cohen's in prison, but like. I'm sure his conscience is feeling a lot better than Giuliani right now because because you can't just go on doing that. You can't just suck up to a person in power and just die on the sword for whatever stupid shit they did. You're going to it comes back. It always comes back. That's such a bad thing. Sick of what's it called? I know it's being a sycophant, but like, is it a thing like sycophantia? Sycophantism? I don't, I don't know. Sussy sycophantism. It's crazy because it's. You know, that's like, and in, in, in the opposite side of things, all, not opposite as in like the other end of the spectrum, but like that is, is more about there's all of the um, police stuff and the jail stuff and the law stuff. And then there is, you know, what happened to Tony, say, is that how you say, I can't, I can't pronounce his last name, um, H-S-I-E-H uh, from Zappos, where he, I forget. he died. I yep. And one of the reasons that he died is just because he had a bunch of yes people around him that were enabling him to continue to into his into the world of like doing all the crazy stuff he wanted to do. And it was absolutely 100% detrimental to his own self. Oh, my God. This guy just died. Well, he didn't just died. He died last year. But and they don't even know whether or not it was self like meaning that he committed suicide or he just decided that the fire wasn't going to get him because he was so high 
He didn't know. But the thing, the point is that he was paying people to enable him. So it's like he was doing wrong things, but he was paying them a lot of money to not say anything. And it's just the proximity to power is intoxicating. That's when we have to really look and go like, when is enough enough? When can you stand up? And you know how hard that would be? Most people who are standing up for what's right are the ones that have no power. And it takes so much courage as a leader to be able in to be in that position where you can say, let's hold some space for this and let's move it out. And if you can't do it yourself, hire people to help you. Support it. Get the infrastructure. I get it. Anyway, yeah, what else? It's scary. Are we finished with this discussion? I mean, yeah, because my appointment's in 10 minutes, so I guess Oh, we that's right. Go. We have to finish it up here. We've yeah. been going on for a long time. But just I'll say this. If it feels wrong, don't do it. <laughs> and how hard well, you can't really can say be? that because a lot of this stuff feels wrong. It feels uncomfortable. How do you know between the feeling between it feels like this is not like wrong and uncomfortable? Because all in the, anytime you shut down people from telling you how they feel, that's wrong. That's why. You should always allow people to tell you what they're feeling and not be like, we don't need that kind of conversation here. This is a workplace of business. It's not like they're a workplace of business. It's not like they're doing topless protests. That would be inappropriate. Well, come on. In the store. Yeah, okay. Some things are inappropriate. Anyway, whatever. I just feel like whatever. Right. Okay, moving on. Moving I on. have a pet peeve that I will talk about maybe during the Super Squad tomorrow, but it has to do with Apple Podcasts. So for those of you who asked, yes, there will be links in the show notes. I will get deeper into this later. There will be, there are always episode links. But as of now, my lovely folks, those of you who are listening in Apple Podcasts will not be able to click through any of the links that are in my beautifully crafted oh, show notes. Man. So you're going to have to either go to the website or you're going to use a different podcast app. I am very sorry about that, That's but close. I can no longer say look at the episode notes in Apple Podcasts because at this point in time, those links are not hyperlinkable double double in there. So anyway, I will, yeah, I'm so pissed off about that or not uh, deeply sad because I work so hard on my show notes as you know, anyway. Okay. Suck. All right. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of She Podcasts. Um, If you need a shower, we recommend you go take one. (laughs) Why am I so hot, too? I'm super hot. Sweaty, hot, uncomfortable. That's what this episode's all about. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at She Podcast. If you agree with anything we've said, you can write us about it at Facebook at (laughs) ShePodcast.com. But if you disagree... You can send us feedback. All right. Speakpipe.com slash sheep podcast yes. or uh, on this. We welcome your feedback, even though we prefer when you agree with us. We welcome your feedback and we'd like you to write us or tell us things. Feedback at sheeppodcast.com and speakpipe. Find us on social. Check out our tickets to She Podcast Live. 
which is shepodcast.com slash live. If you are listening to this, the day it comes out, just know that we are having a Mother's Day special where you can buy any ticket and get the virtual version of that, the recordings and or virtual interaction free for moms and non-moms on Mother's Day. Love your mom. If you don't love your mom, love a mom today. <laughs> I'm not saying okay. you have to. There's a lot of people that don't love your mom. I love your mom, Elsie. Yeah. Your mom is the best. I love my mom. I love you. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for watching live. Thank you for listening all the way through. Mazel tov. Um, love you. Mean it. Bye. <laughs>